Hey everyone, this is your host, Yavitsa Djurjevic. Welcome back to another episode. Today we've got Trey Wynn with us. He is the founder of Chat 10 Sports, which you may remember from Chase Green's episode a couple of episodes back. Had a wonderful conversation really revolving around getting over the anxiety and the self-doubt of starting a venture on your own and really how his upbringing and the issues within his family and his own self-worth or the way he perceived his self-worth impacted him throughout his life and how he overcame those doubts and incorrect belief systems and changed his life for the better and brought forth a life in his family today that he didn't have growing up. He's very proud of and is very excited about sharing and impacting folks. So I think you'll enjoy the episode. It's it's a very deep and thought-provoking episode listening to his life and the obstacles he's overcome, but I think you guys will enjoy it. Here's Trey. Trey, what's going on, buddy? Hey, man. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Welcome to Millennial Manhood. You excited? I am honored to be here, man. I, I, you know, I'm excited to be here for the sake of everything this podcast stands for. So I really appreciate you having me. I'm I'm glad uh, we could we could get connected. So for the folks listening, the the background here, Chase Green, who we had on a couple of weeks back, uh, he's on Chat Ten Sports and. It's my understanding that you're the, the evil genius and architect behind that uh, entire project. So that if you is, want to give a brief intro to the folks listening. Yeah, for me, Chattanooga Sports, um, I'm from Nashville, but I came to Chattanooga in 2010 to go to school at Lee University. Um, I've been a sports fan my whole life, and Chattanooga is such an interesting kind of potluck for quite a few different professional and college sports teams. So I know in town there's – there's one ESPN affiliate radio station, but it's something that my idea of, of finding that niche market for all, you know, Predators, Titans, Tennessee Vols, football, basketball, and all sports athletics there. And then, of course, the Atlanta Braves. Uh, and we get into a lot of other stuff, too, but it's something that people in Chattanooga are fans of those teams. So I'm thinking, mm-hmm. why not make a community for those fans to come together uh, through the interweb? So. Yeah, I love that. You saw a gap and a need and you just decided to take action on it what what was that like i mean how, what was the genesis well to be honest it's funny because i've been a huge tennessee titans fan i mean ever since they came i remember being a kid in nashville in the 90s i think 96 97 whenever in our yard there were the yes to nfl uh you know kind of signs that people put up to because you have to vote on the taxes right correct yeah and i remember you know growing up and watching the tennessee titans but this last summer uh, they were of course going through training camp and uh, they had a open, open to the fans, open to the public pr- uh, practice. And of course, I follow through Twitter and other outlets um, quite a few different people that cover the Titans. I actually have a friend of mine that's that's I went to high school with uh, who covers the Titans full time, and and he does something you know similar to uh, you know kind of creates the community as far as uh, websites and of course articles, but. I got there and I'm looking around at these guys. I'm thinking, man, there is absolutely no difference. Uh, there's nothing special about these guys. They're just basically putting themselves out there. And for me, it was mm-hmm. one of those things of why? Why are you sitting back? And not that I'm like carrying some gold, you know, some golden secret. But it's I think everybody has the opinion. But like I was saying, I saw the the, the opening in Chattanooga because you know there's one sports uh, radio station. There's nothing really like this for East Tennessee. Uh, in, in northern Georgia, but it's one of those things that Chattanooga is such a 
you know, interesting spot. I've, I've found the need to find that same, you know, interaction and community. And of course, we're, we're still in the infant stages as Chat 10 Sports, but, you know, we're, we're getting more and more folks that are following us, interacting with us. You know, we do a weekly live uh, recording of our podcast on Facebook and Periscope, and then also making some good relationships within the media. Um, you know, guys that cover you know, media, Chad Witherow from 104.5 The Zone in Nashville for radio, Trey Wallace for Fox Sports uh, Knoxville, Teron Davenport, who's ESPN, that's covering the Titans right now. So just finding, you know, and it's 2018, so we're just sliding in people's DMs and just trying to make connections and, and relationships that we can, uh, you know, find the common ground for us to get the exposure and also for our end of the Tennessee to understand who these guys are. Uh, and especially, you know, nowadays, there's some older folks that probably don't have the connection uh, through Twitter and social media that they can find us and get connected with these guys as well. Yeah. If I had a dollar every time I slid in somebody's DMs and got an interview out of it, that'd be pretty pretty sweet. Right, right. It's just a it's I mean it's got it gets a bad rap, but it's one of those things like it's it is the the new yeah, it's the new handshake. So it's just hey, you know, uh and it's it's an amazing thing and it's kind of crazy to think like uh, I was talking to one of the guys I just mentioned and he was just saying, man, y'all are doing a fantastic thing and it's so encouraging to get that kind of you know, feedback from these guys who are decades into sports media, but, you know, Facebook and podcasts and, and Periscope uh, really is the future. I mean, for, you know, the impacts of television, but also um, just how quickly you can interact with somebody on a handheld device or tablet or laptop. It's kind of, kind of unreal that we're, we're living in the Jetsons time. So. Yeah. But, um, I've made this point before in order for me to have this podcast 20 years ago, I had to be on like an AM dial somewhere at 3am in the morning once a week. <laughs> right. And now, I mean, like Chase and I were talking about it a couple of you know, uh, days ago, he had a, an idea for something and I'm thinking, dude, this is way easier than I anticipated, but it's something, especially, you know, talking about manhood, I did not want to sit back and let my ideas or just, you know, oh, I'll just do this. And, um, you know, anyway, or I won't do this and just let it slip away and then wonder uh, forever if you if it, if he should have, would have, could have kind of thing. But yeah. Well, I want to elaborate on that because I think that's key right there. And what's really impressed me about you guys is one, you're just from a pure number standpoint, your success out of the gate is impressive, really impressive from a, just how many streams you guys get, your podcast, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really, you know, you're, fi- you're fitting in a need in the marketplace. But what I think is even more impressive is the hardest part about momentum is getting started, just getting that first step. So talk to people who are listening, who, you know, they've got an idea, they want to take advantage of something. They, they have a dream, but that first step, that commitment and putting yourself out there, talk about that. Yeah. I mean, for me, Nowadays, you can go on Google, YouTube, and you can, I mean, we were trying to build something, you know, for my wife's garden. She's a she's got a green thumb, and so we built an above-ground garden. Of course, we've never done it before, but we just jump online and see what do we need, what can we do. Um, and that was something, too, doing some research and just kind of, you know, that was a stage for me of like, well, do I really want to do this? And, you know, there's a little money involved to get, in, you know, get a website up and going and you know, all that. But it's one of those things that I had relationships and connections with people from my, you know, growing up from college and so on and so forth that it's just simply requesting and saying, Hey man, I've got an idea for this or, Hey, I've, I've got this going. What do you think? But, um, I had a good friend from high school named Austin Huff who, uh, you know, has a podcast himself. He's worked for Jim Rome in the past. So he's got the immediate, you know, as far as experience, 
uh, with sports media and kind of put our stuff you know in front of him and he was kind enough to give us some feedback and, and give me some feedback regarding you know things like logos things like you know what's our description you know how how do we really come across especially nowadays if you're in front of people on a website or on facebook or twitter or whatever it is there's a seven second like time frame that people understand a who you are b what you do and then see why they should be a part of what you're doing so it's kind of one of those things like by no means you know do I have this figured out? Or even like a guy, you know, for example, did Bill Gates have everything figured out whenever he was in his garage building computers? It's like, no. But to me, it's it's the first part, and this is the hardest part, is taking that first step. But speaking of Austin Huff, he was so encouraging to me because he was saying, man, you got something really good going here. Don't, you know, and it's it's been great for the positive, like opening and the numbers. But he said, don't look at the numbers. Don't measure yourself based on what's happening in the infant stages of this new thing and i'm thinking too like you know you got a guy like clay travis who's out there who's talking about sports and a wide variety of things he has a following because he's been known you know he's been on you know big radio stations but we're coming at these are me chase and kurt uh three guys that we work for a logistics company in chattanooga just had an idea because we were talking about sports at the water cooler kind of thing we'd pass each other uh you know, on our, on our floor, but it's one of those things. Like we've all, we've all thought about the idea of writing articles. Um, we've all, we've all had the idea about talking on a radio station and the, and the idea and the hopes of that, but why not do it ourselves? Cause we have all the resource, resources in front of us. Um, so why not take that step? But I, I, mean, I completely empathize with anybody, um, kind of wondering, you know, and thinking about it, but they're afraid of what they could look like or, you know, what people might, you know, I'm going to put myself out here. And, and nowadays, um, it is kind of a, you know, it can be a little bit of a nerve wracking thing to put yourself, you know, online where people can sit behind a keyboard and rip you to shreds. But, you know, there, there's, that's anybody, that's anywhere. So, but don't let it, you know, make you, uh, you know, sit back in fear in, in five years, wonder whenever you see somebody else doing what you thought of, you know, that could have been me, you know, but talk about that initial exposure all right you're about to post your first live stream or your first article or whatever it may be let's use live stream because that's even more intimate than writing something in a lot of ways and you fully have to be aware of the fact that this might suck <laughs> whether you like it or not it, yeah. it might not be good and you're putting yourself out there what is how did you overcome that initial anxiety you know i through the process of beginning, I, you know, I have a, a really good friend of mine who's basically helped us get our legs and, you know, getting things, you know, iPad and, you know, tripod stand. And we have a small microphone that we use just to, you know, capture the three of us as far mm -hmm. as getting audio. But it was something too, you know, I had the idea of, of, of doing this and obviously we needed an outline to go through what we're talking about. And of course, this was prior to the football season starting. So, you know, we're and it's just something too, like, here's what we are talking about on a natural, you know, form and fashion. Um, you know, what are the, what are the thoughts for the, these particular teams? What's the expectations and so on. But to me, it was one of those things. Yeah. It's nerve wracking to, to get up on a stage and uh, talk, but it's one of those things. Like it was a very awkward adjustment. And I was kind of telling the guys uh, just, Hey, you know, th there's the three of us and there's a tripod right here. Uh, with a with an iPad, but I want us to look at that iPad like a fourth person having a conversation with us because we've got people commenting and liking and all that kind of stuff too. But it's like even for those who don't see us, you know, you, I, you know, I I myself honestly had to focus and tell myself 
don't look at that bottom line number of, you know, seven people or 15 people or 30 people or whatever. And last night we had like 85 people on Periscope um, mm-hmm. jumping on with us. So it was one of those things that's like, all right, don't let that distract you, <laughs> you know, and we're, we're still, you know, in the, in the process where, you know, we put questions up for people to interact and they know what we're talking about. But it's one of those things. We've got so many things juggling, but you can't sacrifice the quality of what you're putting out and letting it distracting, you know, let myself get distracted from what Chase is saying so that we're all talking in the same line. So, you know, initially uh, it was the adjustment and we've, you know, especially the three of us now, we've gotten more and more comfortable with each other to be a little bit more argumentative or to be a little bit more opinionated without it becoming a shouting match. You know, I know a lot of guys that do that. That's what they're, you know, they just oppose each other for the sake of opposing each other. But we're still kind of, you know, getting our, you know, kind of dancing together, if you will, and kind of getting our rhythm down and, and syncopation or whatever it is. But we're growing together. But, yeah, that first, you know, few weeks that we were together, especially for Chase and Kurt and I, you know, we did not have this extensive, hey, I've known you for five or ten years or whatever. Uh, you know, here's what we're, here's where we're at. But it's something that we we knew going in, hey, we all know, you know, these teams well. We all know the content and what we're talking about well. And I think the rest of it figured itself out. Yeah, you, you don't want to be a Stephen A. Smith just yelling at For people. For sure. And that's the thing, like, I mean, because I know, and this is could be a potential bunny trail. Or, you know, I could talk about this kind of stuff for a long time. But that's that's what ESPN and, you know, Fox Sports and a lot of the major outlets have become. It's just this, you know, you make a hot take and people love you or hate you for it, where we're trying to build a community of being, hey, you know, we have thoughts, we have opinions, and we've also had people come in you know, guys I've known, guys I've known, and guys I didn't know that have contacted us and said, "Hey, I, I would love to write uh, about you know Tennessee football recruiting or Nashville Predator hockey." And it's like, man, do I know everything? Absolutely not. Do I have all this figured out? No. But let send me what you got, and I'll take a look at it, and we'll go from there. And I mean, it's been a successful thing for us thus far, um, just to get everything you know going, and it's and it's been super encouraging. But like I said. You know, had a conversation uh, with Trey Wallace uh, a couple of days ago. He called me up, and we, of course, we're talking about right now the Tennessee offensive coordinator coaching search. But he just, you know, at the end of our conversation, said, "Man, I'm just so, uh, you know, th- y'all have a great thing going, and whatever I can do to help, let me know." So it's like, man, f- five months ago, I didn't know Trey Wallace from Adam, and here he is, you know, extending out a hand just to help us out because it's, you know. It's it's really more and more and more and talking about you know manhood and millennial manhood. It's so much, you go so much farther going with other people through relationships and just trying to white knuckle everything by yourself. So that's just something that's been you know fantastic. I mean, it's been a process for me to learn uh, over the course of my life, but it's just something that's uh, that here and now. It's just you know that conversation was just such an like an encouragement to me. Of it's like man. All you got to do is step out and, and, you know, everything will meet you there. And you got to obviously work hard and prepare, but it's not, it's not this mountain that you think it is. I feel like you just may have opened up a whole can of worms of thoughts that I have <laughs> with some of your comments. So, so let's, let's take a step back. I love that quote. I think everybody listening should write this down, that you can't just white knuckle everything. It, life is so much easier in relationship. I think that is that is so, so true. And we've done episodes on loneliness with young men. We've done episodes on depression. And, mm-hmm. and one of the key themes in all those episodes is, is uh, taking the road by yourself and the failures that come along with that. But one of the reasons I was so excited to 
talk with you on millennial manhood is when you and I initially connected, the amount of excitement and passion you felt for sharing some of the experiences and some of the ideas that you think can help millennial men. And, you know, you had a quote where you said, you know, I unfortunately didn't have a father in my life, so I couldn't wait to be a dad to give that to my kids. And, you know, give, give a little background because obviously you're successful. You're, you're, you're building uh, something great. You've got a family, you've got kids, you've got a great job. You know, take us through the journey, the difficult journey of, of building that relationship with others and, and building up to the man that you are today. Right. Well, um, it's, it's, it's amazing because the older I've gotten, I'm 30 now, you know, and it's something, uh, like you said, married with kids, working full time, got the side hustle with Chat 10 Sports going. But, you know, life is such a crazy ride. Uh, and I have a really good friend of mine, uh, almost like a brother, uh, who when I was in college or I think right before or right after high school, um, you know, we're talking one day and he just said, man, you, get, you just got to keep living sometimes, brother. And that was something, speaking of depression and loneliness, I mean, that's something that, uh, you know, I've, I've battled for a while and a very long time. But yeah, I grew up, uh, my parents, uh, my mom and dad were divorced when I was pretty young, uh, around two or three. And, you know, we ended up, um, uh, my dad did uh, battle alcoholism um, his, for the majority of his life. And so I know it was something, looking back, obviously, from, yeah, like you said, a very young age, um, grew up with my mom and her side of the family um, for a while. I remember when we first moved back to um, my grandparents' house after they had divorced. We, you know, we were sleeping in the same bed together, and she's you know, tucking us in. And I had it's one of those times in your life like you have no idea what's next. And I was probably, I mean, I was obviously very young, um, but it was something too that I just had that memory of laying in that bed and her saying everything's going to be okay and. Um, you know, growing up, it's one of those things in a broken home, people get this, this, um, idea that, you know, the incompletion and, uh, you know, of a family, but there were so many people around me, my grandfather, my uncles, my oldest brother, I've got a, a full brother, uh, a full blood brother, who's uh, 13 months older than me. And then my half brother is, his name's cash, uh, seven years older than I am, but he was such a positive impact on my life and having that that he, the literal big brother to look up to. And my brother, Matt, who's 13 months older than me, uh, we're best friends now, but yeah, we grew up, um, my mom was working full time. Um, uh, and I want to preface a lot of what I'm about to say with just the hindsight, um, excuse me for a second. Um, and the appreciation for my mom, because I've got two girls now and my mom <laughs> had three boys all, you know, we're 13 months apart. And then, you know, my oldest brother is seven years older than me, but just under one roof as a single mom, uh, I have so much respect for her, uh, excuse me, and appreciation for her for, you know, finding, you know, the, the, like I was saying, not white knuckling everything that she was able to obviously with family and the support. Um, but yeah, times were hard when we were growing up. It, I remember, you know, we were moving from, uh, West Nashville, uh, into the, the metro area down to, to south of Nashville and Brentwood, um, where we were going, you know, going to better schools. And I remember laying, uh, in an empty, t uh, condo apartment, a uh, very small place, but we were laying, um, on our mattress on the floor that we were basically the last things that we were, you know, moving. And my mom is, you know, we made tomato sandwiches and it's one of those times, like, it sounds really rough, but it's one of those times, like, I just had this idea in my mind that, uh, again, 
we don't know where this thing's going, but it's going to be good. But, but growing up there were, you know, my mom did, my mom did struggle with alcoholism as well. Um, and so it was something for her, I think just the stress of life and, you know, finding, finding her support, uh, was a bit of a struggle at times, but, you know, for me, I grew up, I had a ton of really good close friends, uh, going through middle school that we did get into a really good school. Uh, had a lot of friends that really became close, very, very close. And that was kind of my outlet. I started playing, uh, football in high school and, you know, you're spending hours at a time with, with these guys and making those friendships. And so I had that support system. I had good coaches, um, who, again, you know, I, I was always the kid that would go to my buddy's houses and I'd see the mom and dad and the happy family. Um, and I would always desire, like, man, like you said, I, I cannot wait to be a father and I can't wait to love my children. Um, and it was from a place of lack. You know, I didn't know at the time, like, you know, my dad, uh, Vietnam veteran, you know, he he got exposed to a lot of, you know, stuff and I've heard stories since I was little that, you know, his, his home and his upbringing was very rough. Uh, and, and there was abuse in the home and, and drinking and alcoholism as well. Um, you know, but it's something that, uh, looking back on that, it was just an innate ingrained in me as far as being a, what it meant to be a man and being a father that I wanted to be the best that I could. And like I said, my, my granddad kind of filled that role. He was the guy that would spank us. Um, he was the guy that had the hard conversations with us, but he's also the guy that, um, you know, put us to work and, and taught us what it meant to work hard. And my, like I said, my uncle as well, he had a, he, uh, has a landscaping business still that we'd go out and we'd cut grass for him and we'd eat and, and blow and, and, and mow lawns. But it was crazy. Cause at the time, like, you know, I'm doing this work and we would do it, we would do it so wrong, you know, but he was patient with us and he, he taught us and, uh, yeah, around high school, it was one of those times that I had everything I wanted. I had great friends. I had a great girlfriend. Her family was fantastic. Um, we, you know, we were partying and having, a, you know, that high school experience in the you know, freshman and sophomore year of my high school. Um, but it was something to me that I, I remember one night I was talking to my girlfriend and I got off the phone and I laid back and I just felt so empty. Like I, I, I thought like, man, I've got everything I want, but why am I still so unsatisfied with all of this? You know, and um, my granddad's, you know, very much a devout Christian man, a very traditional uh, you know, guy as far as he's always, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmases, he's always had, um, you know, something to share as far as what, 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 you know, the gospel and what Jesus did for us. And that always stuck with me, even though I didn't, that wasn't in the forefront of my mind, you know, but he'd always told us, I remember one night, my two brothers and I were sitting and we were uh, cooking hot dogs and making s'mores and we're just talking about Jesus. And, and he had asked us, you know, do you believe that, that, you know, Jesus loves you and that he has a good plan for you? And, and I just, yeah, sure. You know, whatever, whatever that means, my, my brothers are saying the same thing, but that night uh, getting off the phone, with my girlfriend laid back and uh, I just prayed like, God, I want you to do something with my life because at that point, um, no dad, my, my older brothers, um, were having their struggles and I kind of learned and, and, you know, saw their, their, their good decisions and bad decisions they made, uh, and the attempt to learn from them. I, I just said, God, if you're going to do something with my life, I want you to do it. Um, and it's something too, like I grew up with a mentality and just learning this cause, um, again, my mom did a fantastic job with what she could, what, with what she did. But it was something for me that there was still, 
you know, the insecurities within me, and this is not, not her fault or my dad's fault, but because of the situation, I learned to be very independent and very superficial with people, um, didn't want to let people in and did not want to allow them to, you know, have the authoritarian figure in my life or authorita- authoritative role uh, and kind of booked authority because I could, you know, at that time. But it's something that uh, that that night, um, that following, I guess, I, you know, I said I prayed that prayer. But that next day, I had my uh, brother's girlfriend at the time, her dad was a pastor. Um, and I picked up the phone and they were on the phone. And of course, back then, cord, you know, they had corded phones. So we all shared the same line. <laughs> yeah. And they were talking and, and I was like, oh, man, when are y'all going to be off? I got to talk to my friends or whatever. But um, she said, hey, you should come to church with us tomorrow. And um I was like, yeah, sure, that'd be great. And they they picked me up the next day and went to this to their church. Um, but it was something that, you know, and this is speaking of fatherhood and, and all this, as far as, you know, Christ never called God, God. Christ always called God Father. Um, and that was something I had heard that morning. And, you know, it was, they had music and you know, they were, you know, singing to the Lord and all that stuff. But at that time, it did not register to me as far as, what it was, but, um, I, I was almost at the point that that was the first time I really had, uh, an experience, you know, in, in a church setting like that. But after church, this, the, the pastor who was my friend's dad said, Hey man, you should come with us. And, uh, we're going to this, this, we're going to North Carolina and you, sh- you should come. Uh, it's a week long camp. And I honestly kind of threw it in first gear and just like, Hey, cool, man. Like I love this church, but I do not want to go to this church camp. Um, and it was, it taught, yeah, yeah. And it, it was, it was one of those things that, uh, the timing of it was perfect. And I did not realize it at all. Cause we were again playing football and it was in the middle of summertime right between my sophomore and junior year. But, um, you know, TSSAA for Tennessee sports has a dead period where you can't practice, you can't play. And it just so happens that week of that church camp was happening on that dead period week. So I wasn't missing any school or I wasn't, or I wasn't missing any football practice or anything. Um, and that was something that uh, I told him, I was like, Oh man, I gotta, you know, I don't have the money to pay for this. Well, he said, well, we've raised money through scholarships and we've, you know, had bake sales and, you know, wash cars and um, all that. But it's something that I found every excuse that I could to not go to this, this camp. I even called my mom and I knew was, I was like, I know my mom's going to say, no, something's got to be going on. So no, that'd be great. <laughs> and now that I now that I have kids, it's like, yeah, I mean, anything, anytime that you can get to where it's, you know, just, you know, a babysitter or whatever it is to have the time uh, to yourself, it's it's definitely you know, recommended for me now. So I understand her like, yeah, get out of here for the week. But if it's a good influence. Oh yeah, for sure. And and um, you know, ran by the house, packed a bag, and went off to this camp. And that was honestly the first time um that week I ended up becoming a Christian and and got baptized. But that put my life in such a state of transition because I went back and one of my best friends, um, my name's Trey and his name's Reagan. And we were so close. People called us Tragan because we were always together. Um, you know, I, I swear his, the car that he drove in high school, my, the imprint of my butt is probably still in that seat, wherever that car is now, but we were always, always together. Um, I remember coming back from the camp and he was at my house waiting for me. He's like, where the heck have you been? Like, you didn't tell me you were doing this. And, uh, you know, he recognized um, in in me because I was I was fighting a lot of depression at the time, did not recognize it. But I was just so overjoyed, you know, 
Uh, and a big part of, of me becoming a Christian, and like I said, Christ never called God God. He called him Father. And I remember uh, the pastor I went with was praying for me one night because he knew, like, I grew up in a really rough, you know, uh, broken home. And he prayed for me. And at that night, it was something that, you know, I was getting these images in my mind of me having kids. And it was this mix between, like, the anger, like God was dangling this carrot in front of my face, like you, you will never have this. Um, but I, I, I prayed and I said, God, what are you doing? Like, what are you showing me? And it was something that, you know, it became a thing of, you know, seeing that as a promise uh, in my own mind. And if that's a, you know, whatever you want to call that, it's, you know, some people might be worded off by that, but it's something that, you know, I felt that God made me a promise and in and, and that moment, of saying, this is a promise to you. And I said, well, how am I supposed to be a good father um, to these kids? You know, and he's, and I, and I, again, call it whatever you will, but it was something to me. I had the experience that I felt God inaudibly say to me and just in my heart, even like, you will be a good father because I'm going to be your father now. And that was like, you know, that was my moment where it was just something that, um, you know, even growing up, I remember, you know, we would see my dad once, once a year, um, and he would make promises for, Hey, I'll get you this for Christmas and we'll go do that. And nine times out of 10, it never happened. So I had that mistrust and that just, that, that brokenness in me. And it was something that people recognized when I came back, but yeah, I lost, you know, a lot of friends, you know, we, we kind of unintentionally drew some lines cause we were, we were, we wanted to live right and be, you know, be Christians, my friend Reagan and I, um, but yeah, we got pretty involved with the, the, the church that I, I ended up, uh, you know, going to and being a part of, uh, actually after high school, got on staff, uh, was in a leadership program with them, a Christian leadership program where we were working full time, but we were also taking theology classes and, um, ended up, they had a part of that program. You have a host family and you'd live with somebody. And, and so basically all expenses were paid and they were investing us, uh, you know, giving us work, but we were also getting a full, you know, non-accredited education, uh, you know, through mentoring and, and, uh, it was something that uh, at that time I had lived with a guy that's uh, who's on staff at the church, um, and he was the first guy that I really ever trusted as a, like a, a fatherly role. And again, the reason I say you can't white knuckle your life is because I white knuckled. I mean, my younger years, and I'm still young, and I'm still learning how to, you know, open up a lot and every single day. But it's something that Michael Waters, the pastor, that. Uh, whew, and if that's a, that was a guy that uh, I probably gave a, a more of a hard time than he deserved because that was such a, a scary process for me to learn how to trust. Um, but at the at the same time, he, you know, he and I, he had encouraged me, hey, I, I really think it would be good for you to be in a home with a family. And so I ended up moving in with a, a family, uh, the Olivers, that um, took me in. And again, this was the first time I ever lived in a home. And this is, I'm 18, 19, 20. Um, with a mom figure and a dad figure. And I had, you know, they have two sons that are like little brothers to me. Even to this day, we spent Thanksgiving. Uh, we stayed with them over Thanksgiving in Nashville. Um, but man, talk about like, that was a serious time for me of rewiring. Um, and Lisa, the, you know, Miss Oliver, the, the mom, she's like a mom to me now, but she's actually just finished her, her master's degree for, uh, for counseling. And it's funny cause there were, there were days, um, you know, there were some times through that period that it was a very big, like a significant part of my life to mature. 
uh, becoming a man. And she and I and, and Greg, her husband as well, we would sit and have these conversations uh, about my childhood, about experiences I had had, um, you know, verbal abuse, physical abuse, nothing from, you know, neither one of my parents, but it was just something that um, just opened up a lot within me that really made me reflect on who I was and, you know, finding who I was at the same time. But it was something that uh, they really helped me to, you know, as far as forgiveness, um, Obviously, that's a big part of the Christian faith, but it was at that time that, you know, with my dad, it was something that I had so much bitterness towards him because of what I didn't have that my other friends had with their dads, you know, the, you know, the stereotypical, you know, playing catch and, uh, you know, going to football games and him coming to my games and all that kind of stuff. But um, that was a, a huge process in a time for me that, you know, my dad, uh, through that period of time when I lived with the Olivers and I was on staff with, at the church, um, my uh, my brother ended up calling me when I was 19 that um, my dad had passed away. And it was something that I knew, you know, I knew, I, at the time I was like, I knew this conversation was happening at some point. I just didn't know when. Obviously, I'm like, everyone is going to, everyone dies at some point. But um, it was right in the middle of that period of time when I was working on forgiveness. Um, and I know, especially, and this is my passion for manhood of being a man and what it means to be a man that this period of time in my life, I learned how to forgive my dad, my mom, even, um, other people that, you know, I just, I just see bitterness. Um, it's just a toxin, man. It's a poison that people drink and they think it's going to hurt the other people, the other person or whoever it is, but they're just drinking that poison down and it only hurts them, you know? I think a lot of men, it's, it's again, it's so st- stereotypical just to, you know, grit your teeth and get through it and pull yourself up by your bootstraps where, yeah, that's, it, it's fitting in some instances, but at the same time, you're not going to get through anything faster alone trying to, you know, like I said, white knuckling everything. That's just something that uh, through that period of time, uh, just a massive rewiring for me, but yeah, those were some good good days and rough days. I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm talking a lot. So if, uh... You're fine. It's your story. I like it. I, I Well, and I'm just the, – the thoughts that came to my mind was people pouring into mm-hmm. you. Um, you know, you, you mentioned two words that really stuck out to me. You said you felt a burning desire – to be a good father someday. You you had this desire within you, yet you felt it. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about how contrasting of a situation that is? You felt empty, yet you felt this desire. Yet most of the time when people feel empty, they don't mm-hmm. feel anything. Um, I think that's a powerful, you know, bifurcated view of looking at something and saying, wow, this tray at 16 or 17, this struggle, this internal battle that's going on that may have continued to go on if other people hadn't right. poured into you. Yeah. And that was something, like I said, like that whole process, you know, I didn't, and not that people were like pressuring me of open up and tell us it's like, or just, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? It's like, man, I haven't even had the time to think about it aside. Like, I know I want to be a husband and a dad one day, like, you know, wh- where do I want to go yeah. in my life? And, you know, through that time, like it was such a, a process of, you know, what am I, what am I good at? What am I passionate about? You know, and that was something, you know, through that period that, um, it was, it's a really hard 
process to learn how to trust somebody, especially like, you know, again, my mom and my dad did the best they could, but there were still broken relationships there that have been mended since then, you know, with my mom. And, um, you know, I found my place in the church and I found my place on staff and it was something even within, you know, I found, you know, you know, going across the oceans and traveling and, you know, I went to Mexico I lived there for six months as a part of the, you know, being on staff at the church and helping, uh, you know, build the church there too. But um, saw just like, I saw real struggle. I saw, you know, especially if you're familiar with Nashville, it's, you know, I'm from Brentwood. So a Brentwood kid, like one of the richest counties in the country, like it was such a good thing for me. And I wasn't by any means from a bunch of money, but it was one of those things. It was such a good thing for me to see that and understand like, yeah, I have my own struggles and, and demons and you know insecurities and depression but it was one of those things that I got to see you know we would open up a suitcase and give a five or six year old kid a soccer ball and their eyes just light up or you know yeah I mean seeing you know parents down there and their babies like you know their sandals are worn through and they're you know again it's it's a huge worldview change of just like man I've it's a a a blessing to be an American at the same time. It's like, God, why have you given me this, but not these people? So a lot of stuff's going on at that point in time, but you know, I knew, and it's talking about passions and, you know, being empty. Like that was, I was so at a point of just like, God, I want whatever you've got for me. I don't know all this stuff. And again, nowadays people get weirded out by, you know, a lot of, you know, what, what a Christian is and all that stuff. But for me, it was one of those things like I felt something and I encountered something so real that I was, I was all in from that moment, but I felt that promise to me. And again, like I've got, you know, I've got kids now I'm, I am married now. Um, and every single day it's like, well, you know, you got to make that choice, like not just to get out of bed and go do your thing, but it's, you know, making the time to invest in the people around you opening up like now, um, through the process of, of, you know, being a 16 year old kid, I, I actually ended up coming down here to Chattanooga to go to Lee and got immediately involved with uh, one of the fraternities there on campus. Cause there was a Christian service club is what they call them, but they had, they had goals and they had, you know, uh, plans in mind. You know, we had, during the time I was there, we actually broke a world record for the longest flag football game played. And we raised, I think over $60,000. That's um yeah we we ended up partnering with a, a an organization called Build a City and People for Care and Learning that we ended you know giving that sixty thousand dollars to them and, and a, excuse me a group of us went over one summer to Cambodia where they were literally building a city from the ground up waterways streets you know houses um, that we got to be a part of but it was something that had I not had the experiences as a young man and understanding of people investing in me. And finding a community that I can be a part of, you know, and again, like, it's something for me, I, the, the principles of understanding that the, you know, in the, in the, the, uh, excuse me, the um, multitude of counsel, there's wisdom, you know, there's, and it, for me, that was so contrary. And it was such a hard process to say, well, why do I need people? Like, and I know my wife and I joke now, we watch The Office and Dwight Schrute, because there needs to be a plague, man. There's too many people. And we'll, and we'll laugh and we'll joke, you know. And, um, but it's something, too. Like, I know a lot of times people can have that mentality of, of going 
by yourself for a shorter you know amount of time or a shorter distance, but you can go so much farther with people around you that now, you know, we we lead a small group for our church and we've found other married couples that with you know with kids in the same stage of life that we're in that they've been um, just such a an encouragement to us and a blessing to us and a benefit for us that uh, and that these are guys that um, that a little bit older than I am, more successful than I am. They've got, you know, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, but it's one of those things like I've, you know, they've told me, you know, one guy in particular said to me, man, your ability to open up your guts and be vulnerable. It's such a struggle for me, you know, and so that was the beginning of our, our initial relationship. And now, and this is the same guy that we'll do a weekly, you know, uh, waffle house, you know, guy. Well, the guys will get breakfast uh, before we all go to work, and this is the same guy that seven, eight months. You know, I'm, I'm well, we're almost two years now, but you know, here he was opening up his his you know guts and hey, here's where I'm at with this stuff. But it's those conversations for me that I said, you know, to the Olivers and to a guy like Michael Waters, these people that were investing in me. It's like I hate myself. I'm dep- you know depression, and I don't want to be here. Like you know, I fought even from a young age, like just suicidal thoughts, man. And it was one of those things that until I spoke that out to somebody, it would have, it would have never, ever come out. Like, and that was at the same time, me opening up my mouth, like it gave room inside of me to be healed and to be, you know, to be invested in and be loved on by other people, you know, and finding that support, um, you know, and like I said, over Thanksgiving, you know, we were sitting down with the Olivers and their family around their Thanksgiving table and just saying, hey, it's always the cliche, what are you thankful for? And everybody, you know, can go through it. But, you know, even my family did that as well. And it's fantastic. But it's one of those things that if you go so long without communicating your, your gratitude or your struggles or your issue, um, I mean, that's one of those things like, you're going to break down at some point in time, you know, and especially for guys, like it's, it's such a common struggle for men, especially married men. And nowadays, like, you know, marriage rates are, are declining annually or what, you know, I don't know the the figures, but it's just something that, uh, especially, you know, I know we talked about it a little bit too, but just for millennials that millennials don't work hard and they expect everything and they're entitled, but there's so much more to this generation than that that cover, you know, that it's almost like, you know, just a, it's just like a, just a, a, it's just a blanket of gross. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's a catch all. It's, there's not much thought involved in a lot of those statements. It's more so, Hey, you know, I just need to complain about something. So I'm complaining about it. And, you know, I think what's really struck me in our conversation here and, and you really talking is your ability to be vulnerable and your ability to really dissect yourself and think, okay, well, here's where I have been either, you know, insufficient or there's room for growth or whatever it may be. And, and what I like about it is just like chat 10 sports. Okay. Let's, let's use that initial example. Again, you decided to take action. You decided to uh, progress in some capacity to a better version of yourself step by step by getting people involved in your life, accepting people pouring into you, being vulnerable, expressing those those thoughts and and really, really fighting forward. And, you know, we're, we're running up on time on here, which makes me actually really sad because I'm sitting here like taking notes thinking I'm like, oh, man, I really need to meditate on some of this stuff. But 
you know, we, so we'll definitely have to continue the conversation, but, but one thing I always like to condense at the very end is just, Hey, if you could go back to, to 18 year old Trey and you could give him one piece of advice being 30 years old, if there's one thing you could tell him, Hey, at 18, here's what you need to know. What, what would that one piece of advice be? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, looks at the head. Man, it, it's, to me, I would look myself in the eyes and say, you're good enough, man. And then just because I think so, oh, man. Wow. I think, you know, a lot of times guys will joke, well, my, you know, women always compare themselves to each other. But I think men are just as bad with looking at somebody else and, and especially nowadays. And we're in a constant pissing contest. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, and it's one of those things. I struggled for so long. And, and just that's what that's why Chat Tim was burst was just like, am I going to sit here and think like, I could never be that guy. I could never write, you know, for web, my own website or even just, I mean, believing in myself that I'm a good enough guy to have my, you know, my wife as much of a blessing as she is or my daughters. It's like, like I said, God made me promises that I thought I was exempt from because I was not adequate. Like, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I would look at myself in the face and just say, as, as hard as this is to hear, you are good enough, you know, and it's something that, you know, through the experiences that we had through college and getting married and starting to have kids, like, you know, again, that was a, a, a whole nother layer to the onion kind of thing. But yeah, for me, I think so many men just are so afraid to talk about it. But everybody has this the feeling, not everybody, but the majority of people and men have that insecurity and in, in the fear of failure and the inadequacies. And even now, it's you know I still find myself guilty of like, well, so and so does this, and this is the job that they have, and you know all that. I and mean, I'm just thinking again. I told Chase this last night as we were you know tearing down for for chat ten, as I believe that God made me to be a father, you know, and that's just not to my own kids, but to other people around me, and not just to be I'm a I'm you know my friend's father, but there is you know in, within me there's just a desire to to hear people out. Um, to support them, to to be, you know, this that that friend, that brother, that uh, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I just I have such a desire, and I'm I'm so. Uh, and again, we're wrapping up on time here, but I'm so more. I'm I'm more afraid of the idea of holding my my thoughts in or my insecurities in or whatever it is. Like we're talking about vulnerability that I'd rather speak that out and it helps someone else understand, hey, because the biggest lie that we're ever told is that you're the only person that deals with this, right? Mm. You know, so it's just kind of opening that up. But I know, uh, again, yeah, like you said, we can talk for hours about it, but that's something too for me. Um, You're good enough. I love it. I think we found a title for the episode. (laughs) It only took us 45 minutes, but... You're good enough. Under underline underline title. Yeah. Um, wow. Try it. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. This was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And again, I know um, it was a big encouragement when when I heard Chase's story. It helped me get to know him more and his, you know his experiences in life. Um, so I'm you know again, I hope that one person can find this and it's something that uh, you know for whatever hard times I've gone through, I hope it can be an encouragement to somebody else to understand that however big the mountain is or however hard the punch is that you receive, you can always get back up. I love it. Well, and, and that's what this podcast is about. It's about serving others and, and helping others. And look, I'll, I'll make sure to put all the chat in and 
all your social media in the in the show notes, and people can get a hold of you if they if they choose to. They can slide in your DMs <laughs> uh, or whatever it may be. But for everybody listening, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. As always, um, you know a lot of work is put into this. If you got any feedback, comments, millennialmanhoodcip at gmail or slide in my DMs. That's fine too. Or send me a LinkedIn message, whatever it may be. But uh, Trey, again, thanks for coming on, and we'll talk to you guys again next week.